Welcome to the podcast of Father's Chapel in Lakeland, Florida, led by John and Kimberly Moore. Father's Chapel invites you on a journey of sonship to pursue the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the secret place. Join us each episode as we discover who God says He is, who God says we are in Him, and whose house God says we live in. If you want to be turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. If you'd like to stand for the reading of the Word of God, we appreciate that. If you're not able, we bless you. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. Familiar passage. Let's get into it. Starting in verse 43. You have heard... That it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, I love 45. Here we go. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son, the S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that tonight I can step into your presence. And as I'm in your presence, Father... Lord, that the things of this world become a shadow around me. You are the light of my life. You are the source of my increase. Father, Lord, in you there is no lack. In you, Father, Lord, there is only life and life more abundant. In you there is freedom. And Father, Lord, I call tonight and I speak these things that are found in your kingdom. To invade this earth and be found here in the kingdom of the earth. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. Familiar familiar verses. We've read these before. We've talked about them. They've been preached on in this room many times. Let's see if we can find something new about them tonight. Something fresh. Something that will get into our spirit, be planted there, and grow and mature and bring transformation. Amen? Amen. 48, we're going to hang out on 48 a lot. We'll start there, actually. Then we'll back up and run through 43 through 47. But let me get the ground ground set here. All right? Because I think a lot of times 
this scripture is quoted. And when it is quoted, it's always good to quote scripture. Amen. All right. Because it's God's word. And God has a promise on his word that his word goes out and that it does not return to him void. That it does exactly what he wants his word to do. So always speak the word. But sometimes we'll speak the word and it really won't bring a complete picture to what we're speaking into. So tonight I want to build on this and I want to see if we can get a better understanding, a better um, a foundation to stand on that. If we go to speak these words in the public, if we go to speak these words into our friends and our neighbors, that we can give them a little bit more than just a one line quote. Amen. But this one line quote is important. You've heard it before. It says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect is used two times in that scripture. It is what stands out. It is it gets double attention in that one scripture. It's mentioned twice. It must be important. Amen. All right. But when we start thinking about perfect, there is a um, in the English language, there's words that would be uh, synonymous to this word that we start thinking about. Because we, in America, we're always striving to one-up each other. We're always striving to be better than the next guy. We're always striving to maybe uh, put ourselves above and beyond what the neighbor can do. Why is that? Shortly because we're living out of the tree in good and evil. And we're trying to manipulate that for our own benefit. When we should be living out of the tree of life. And just giving away stuff. Just giving away stuff. And giving away stuff. So when you think about the word perfect... And you're living out of the tree of the good and evil. And you're trying to manipulate that for your own good. Think the, 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 the words that would go along with that kind of thought is absolute, faultless, ideal, flawless, immaculate, impeccable, irreproachable, letter perfect, seamless, and unblemished. And all those words fit God. They all fit the Father. They all fit the Son. They all fit the Holy Spirit. And if we were in this contents, if we were only speaking of Him, and we were only trying to glorify Him, that idea of perfect would be just fine. Because every one of those descriptions, every one of those synonyms would fit Him without any problem. But Jesus, in this, in this Scripture, He's really uh, trying to say, because the Father is perfect, then you be perfect. And I don't know about you, but when I started thinking about those words that go along and describe the Father so well, and in this, in this American idea of we are always to be striving to be the best, you know, even if, it, even if we have to step on the guy beside us, then I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can measure up. I don't know that I can get in and try to struggle along to be flawless, to be, uh, to be without fault, to be unblemished. To be impeccable, to be absolute, to be ideal. I don't know that I can fit that. I don't know that I can fit in there. So how do I read this scripture? And how do I step into it? How do I, how do I look at this scripture in these two words, perfect, and decide I, being man, being made of flesh and blood, I'm going to step into it. How do I do that? Well, I have to understand what the Greek and the Hebrew, the Aramaic, also says about the word perfect. I've, I've got to get that idea in my head. I have to do a little bit more Hebrew, uh, Hebraic thinking than I do Greek 
thinking or I do English thinking. I have to get into the to actually understand what the Aramaic and what the Hebrew says when they start talking about being perfect and especially the idea of how God is perfect. You see, there is a whole nother line of thinking that comes along with that. There's a whole nother way of seeing that word than it is the way I just described it, which is common and not. And again, if we were just speaking about the father, those are great, great words. But I'm trying to be like him. I'm trying to be like my father. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this scripture to be like him. How do I do that? Let's look at it in a different way. The air, the Hebrews think in a circle. Everything that they do, they, they think in a circle pattern. And I've said this before, and it's hard to do without a whiteboard. But in, in, in our thinking, if I was to do math and I was to say one plus two plus three equals six. And that would be a true statement. And, there, and, that, and we would read it from the right to the left. And it would be linear. And it would be, it would, in our own thinking, we would think that's complete. But in a Hebrew culture, in a Hebrew mindset, they would not have said, they would have said that thought is incomplete. What they would have said, follow me now, is the same. They might have started with one. One plus two plus three equals six. Then they would have finished it up this way. Six equals three plus two plus one. And if you'll see, that becomes a complete thought, a circular thought. Because no matter where you jump in on a number, if you begin to read it, you can go around and around and around, and that thought is complete. So it would be 1 plus 2 plus 3 equals 6 equals 3 plus 2 plus 1. That's just an example of what I'm trying to get to. Because if, if you can see that, and you can follow along with that understanding... You're going to get what I'm saying next. Because in the Hebrew thinking, the word perfect really means to be whole. To be unbroken. To be whole. Alright? To be complete. To be complete. In the Hebrew thinking, the word perfect really means to be fully mature. Fully mature. In the Hebrew thinking, the word perfect also could mean lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. In the Hebrew thinking, the word perfect can also be all-inclusive. All-inclusive. And the last one I'll give you in the Hebrew thinking, the word perfect can be well-rounded. Well-rounded. So the idea here, if I could illustrate this one more way, is, and I've been talking about circles already, so go with me. Use your imagination. Everybody's allowed to do that, Amen. We all have one. Alright, plug into it tonight. And I want you in your own mind, out in front of you, I want you to paint a big, big, complete circle. Make it a big, thick, bold line. Don't make it wavy and don't make it sketchy and make sure it's all connected. It's a big, bold, beautiful, complete, all the way around circle. And we'll call that complete. Amen? And really that when this is saying what the scripture is saying here, when Jesus was talking and he was saying, therefore, you should be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. He the people who would have been listening at that time would have known that he was saying the father is complete. The father's not lacking anything. 
There's no break in this circle. There's, there's no part missing. He is well-rounded. He is fully mature. He is whole. Amen? That's what I want you to get the idea of, of God. And Jesus is saying that we, therefore, after all these scriptures, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven who is imperfect. Who is perfect. So what Jesus is trying to teach the crowd is you have the ability to be without lack. You have the ability to be complete. You have the ability to walk where you're not in need of anything. You have the ability to be uh, fully mature. You have the ability to do this. Now, if we were to take that same illustration, and we truly would be honest, where we're at in our journey right this moment, we would probably be able to paint that picture. Some of us would be able to paint it from like noon, like 12 o'clock, all the way around past 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Am I getting anybody uncomfortable yet? Are you to the 9 o'clock mark? Can you get to the 10? Just how complete are you right now in your journey with your walk with your father right now? Can anybody dare stand up and say, I'm at 11, I'm at 11.30, 11.45, I'm almost there. I don't know. It's a good question to ask ourselves. It's a great question to run into the secret place and ask Father. Say, Father, I know you're complete. Can you give me insight on where I am walking with you? Get, his, get your answer from him. Let that be a mountaintop conversation. All right? Now, I don't, I'm not trying to tell you to paint where you're all the way around. What I'm trying to tell you is if you look at yourself and you say, there is some part of me that lacks, then I'm in hope because Jesus says, therefore, I can be perfect just as my father is perfect. I, I am working on it. I am working on it through him, through relation. Ooh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting into the other scriptures here. But there is, I'm not going to do this out of my own, my own ability, my own skill set, my own uh, 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 the way that I can look at something and attain knowledge and understanding. What I'm going to do this is I'm going to run. And I'm going to look and I'm going to seek his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto me. Amen. Everybody, everybody still with me? Everybody, we, we're, we're tracking on the same page. If so, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep going. Amen. So that's what it is to be. That's a... That's a superior idea of what Jesus was speaking about when he was telling that the Father is perfect. And in the Father, you have the ability to also be perfect. Somebody say, in the Father, amen. So how do we become perfect just as the fa our Father in heaven is perfect? How do we become perfect just like our Father who in heaven is perfect? Let's go back up to, channel, uh, to verse 43. And what we're reading here, it seems that one of the ways that we can become perfect like the Father is perfect is to love our enemies. Amen? Is that not what the scripture is all about? I know, I know I've got you using your imagination and you're thinking of circles, complete circles and not complete circles. But track with me here for a moment. We're going back to verse 43. And if we start in verse 43 and read down, it seems like that the way that we become perfect is to love our enemies. 
It's very clear. It says it over and over in different ways. Jesus is preaching here. He's teaching here that we are to be to be perfect like our father is perfect. We must love our enemies. And I will say that that is true. There's no there's no uh, doubt in that, that we must be able to love our enemies. Let's let's look how let's see if we can find a pattern in this and see if we can find a pattern, because when I find a pattern uh, of something, I'm able to apply that pattern to other things in my life. Okay, let's so let's see if this is all about loving your enemies. It is absolutely a portion of it. But let's see if it's all over here. Jesus starts out in verse 43. Now, this this room knows, I think, you know, that this where I'm reading from is in the middle of three chapters that is recorded as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus went up on the side of a hill, began to speak to his followers and disciples. And he began to speak to them about what they uh, about what they would become, actually. Amen? Alright? And this is just one snippet out of those three chapters. Read these three chapters. They are gold. Amen? They are gold. But we're going to pick it up in verse 43 says, you have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Jesus is is he's he is using language that they understood, because in Leviticus, there's a there's a place in Leviticus where they are told uh, as they're getting introduced to all the laws that you are to love your neighbor. And that's written. That's written in their laws. Love your neighbor. Jesus even told us, amen. What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love the neighbor is the language they understand. But listen to this next part. It says that you have, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Bible is it written. Nowhere in the law was it written that we are to hate our neighbor or hate our, hate our enemy. Now. What happened is over years and years and years of them being taught to love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, they all, they all just automatically start applying, well, if you're not my neighbor, then I can hate you. If you're not my neighbor, then I can mistreat you and I can use you and I can manipulate you to make you do subject to what I want. If you're not my neighbor, then I'm allowed to hate you. They thought there was a clear, clear-cut distinction from what was taught in the Old Testament. It was love your neighbor was written and hate your enemy was the unwritten. So you have the written law and the unwritten law. We do the same thing with stuff. We do the same thing. So Jesus is sitting here and the first thing he did, well not the first thing because he's been preaching for three chapters, but in this part, he goes to the part and he's coming up and he says, you have heard and he gives them. But what is he doing? Why is he saying that? He is absolutely standing on that hillside. Looking at people who are listening to what he says. And he's issuing a challenge. He's issuing a challenge. This particular challenge happens to be about loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. And if you go back and you read these three chapters. You'll find that he's challenging them. Over and over and over and over through chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. It's all one challenge after another challenge after another challenge. 
on different many, many subjects from this one's hating, uh, loving your enemies to adultery to uh, it just goes on and uh, being the salt of the li- uh, salt of the world, the light of the world, being uh, what it would be to be a citizen of the kingdom of God versus someone who just follows the law. He's issuing challenge after challenge after challenge. And here again, he stands here and he says, but you heard, but I said. <laughs> Amen. He's issuing a challenge. Don't go crazy in your own life when you run to the secret place. And in that secret place, you're telling God, you're, you're worshiping God. You're telling him you love him. You're telling him about the good things in your life. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, you've heard this, but I say that. And he begins to challenge something in your life. He begins to, to, re, to reprove what you're doing. He's beginning to rebuke something that you might be going on in your life. A way that you thought. A pattern of thinking. He's coming in like a flood. And he wants to change that. We have to be willing. If we're ever going to get to be perfect. If we're ever going to be whole. If we're ever going to have that, uh, be well-rounded. If we're ever going to be fully mature. We have to be able to hear him. Come in our lives. Issue us a challenge. And we rejoice. At the challenge, we rejoice at the rebuke and we say, only because you love me do you want me to mature. Only because you want me to be like you that I'm going to start changing the way I think. Jesus is giving them this opportunity on a hillside and he's saying that you said, you have heard that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He goes on in verse 44, he says, after he issues the challenge, he now tells a, a superior way to think. He comes with a superior way to think. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Jesus just didn't leave it there. He gives three practical things that you can do. He says, love your enemies. He says, bless those who curse you. So the next time you're driving down a road to play a city and someone decides to curse you because the way you drive, they don't approve of, bless them. Bless them. You don't give them the what for back. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is saying that's the old way of thinking. I'm challenging you. I want you to think different. I want you to think the instant that somebody begins to curse you, that something in you, because you've been around me so much, that something in you begins to rise up and your mouth begins to open. But it's not anger. It's not bitter. But it's a blessing coming out of your mouth. It's a it's a blessing. It's, you're wanting to give that person increase. You're wanting that person to see who they really are when they're made in the image of the Father. You're not about to go down the road of cursing them back. We still need to work on this today, don't we? In 2021, Jesus spoke this centuries ago, but we still need to work on this. Amen. He goes on to say, not only do you uh, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Do good. So when you find somebody in this life who truly hates you, Jesus is saying the superior idea is to go do good unto them. Now, y'all ain't shouting me down. Now, I understand. All right? That's why I'm telling you this is a challenge. Jesus has issued a challenge. The third way he goes here and he says, And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 
persecute you. So when someone spitefully uses you, they manipulate your life. They try to call you and get your social security number. They try to call you and tell you that your social security number has been canceled. Amen. And you know the whole time that you're hearing that recording. All you want to do is get some information for you can twist it and pervert it and wreck my life. They want to spitefully use you or they want to persecute you. The next term somebody says, aren't you one of them that goes down there first assembly? Aren't you one of those so-called Christians? Aren't you one of those people that follow Jesus? You can tell by the tone of their voice. You can tell by what they're saying. The next thing that comes out of their mouth is going to be persecution, whether it's a, a sideways look or if they actually put speech on it and begin to tell you why you're wrong. When all this is happening, Jesus is trying to say, you take these real life situations. Now, this is not how, uh, uh, this is not make believe. This is not just pretend. Jesus said, these things are going to happen to you. And when they do, I challenge you to have a superior thought, to start thinking a different way than you have all your life. To take the teaching that you have had in your life and say, you know what? Jesus speaks a better word. Amen. And that better word says that I will love my enemies. I will bless them. I will do good unto them. And I will pray for them. And that brings us to verse 45. You think Jesus meant for them to do something a little bit different? Absolutely. Why? Why would Jesus stand on a hillside and challenge? Why would Jesus stand on the hillside and begin to explain how much different it is to walk in the kingdom of God than it is to walk in the kingdom of earth? Why, why, would, why would he stand there and do this? All right, verse 45 brings a little bit of light to that. Verse 45 sets it up for me and you to be able to, to be perfect, as like our Father in heaven is perfect. He says that you you do all these things that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Ooh, my, my, my. I'm going to read that again. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You see what Jesus just took there? He took practical life. Things that we walk through day to day. And he says, you know what? All of this will come out better in the end if you have a relationship with the Father. If you understand your your identity and who you really are, you're not just somebody sitting at the base of a hill listening to a preacher speak words. You're not just someone sitting in a room listening to someone say uh, to revamp what Jesus said on that side of the hill. You're not just someone who's set aside this time to be in this place to do a certain task. But you are a son. You have an identity. You have a place in the kingdom of God that's higher than the angels. Amen. He says you become the sons of the Father in heaven if you begin to change the way that you think. If you'll stop thinking the way the world thinks. If you stop listening to what the world has to say. And you throw the distractions down and you get rid of that abstract uh, distraction and you come to the place where your actual thinking can be changed and transformed and then when you begin to act when you begin to bless and when you begin to do good and when you begin to pray for the people around you would say 
There's something different about you. There must be a God in your life. There must be a father in your life. You're identifying, not like I would, but you're identifying of a good, good father. You're looking like that you believe that there is a father who lives in the land of the living and that his goodness goes forth. You see, we become the direct, the direct reflection of our father when we begin to act and speak like he does. That's why Jesus is standing on a hillside. That's why Jesus is speaking into these people's lives. And he's saying, from this day forward, you'll never be the same. From this day forward, you'll be changed. From this day forward, there's a kingdom that belongs to my Father that you're able to walk in now. You'll be able to change your behavior now. You're going to be able to change your thinking now. You don't have to wait until you die. You don't have to wait until something comes down the road that that, that brings you to a point that just rocks you on your knees. And then you cry out for the Father Yahweh. No, do it now. Change the way you do now. Bless people now. Do good now. Pray for people now. He is bringing it all to a head. And he's saying that there is something different. You know what he did here? He, he challenged what they said. And he brought a new revelation. He said, Just stop walking in darkness. Stop walking where you're going to stumble and trip. Look at the revelation that I'm bringing. And then put this revelation into your life. For you can walk different. For you can talk different. Today Christ is still saying the same thing to me and you. He is standing on that same hillside and he's still crying out to us that will listen and that will follow and be his disciples and be his followers. And he's saying, he's saying, you can change now. You can be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. He takes in this particular challenge from hate your enemies to bless and do good and pray for those who come into corruption. Who comes, I'm sorry, comes into agreement with corruption to do you harm. Jesus goes on in verse 45 where we're camping out right this second. It says, Jesus reveals that you inherit this ability from our relationship with our Father in heaven. He goes on, if you could read between the lines here when we're talking about son and father. It's, it's not a son and father who don't get along relationship. It's not a son and father <laughs> that doesn't speak to each other kind of relationship. It's not a, a son and father who one lives on one side of the world and the other one lives on the other side of the world. What he's trying to say, if you'll follow me in this conversation, he's trying to say that when you get into this right relationship with the father, the father's going to say some words to you that's going to challenge the way you think about yourself. I've told you several times, and I'll keep saying it over and over and over. There's three things we must learn. We must go into the secret place and ask God who He says He is. And when we start to scratch that one, then we have to, in that same secret place, say, well, God, who do you say I am in you? And the third one, we need to really say, if... If you're starting to tell me who you really are and you're telling me who I am in you, then tell me whose house do I belong to? These are questions 
that I cannot answer for you tonight. You must go in the secret place and you must ask him. You must have a conversation. You must have a relationship with him. And you go in seeking and loving. And what it, what, when you start to be there and you start to do that and you get over to that question number two and you start saying things like, God, who do you say I am in? Who do you say I am in you? And then you're sitting there and you're waiting. And in that peace and in that stillness and in that quietness, there begins to something and the wraps around you and you, you get lost in that moment. And before you know it, you think you hear the words of God uttering into your life. And he begins to say something kind of like this. You are my beloved. You are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my children. You are right here and I am here with you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. It's a father-son relationship in the best way that it could ever be. You are his beloved. Amen? Remember I told you it seems like, <laughs> it seems like the way to be perfect like your father is perfect is to love your enemy? That's a part of it. That's a portion of it. But if you really want to get to beginning to mature further than you've ever matured in your life. I don't care where you're at in your walk. If you just started loving Jesus yesterday, or if you've been loving Jesus for 50 years, this still applies to each and every one of us. If we really want to be perfect like our Father is imperfect, then we have to aim at the Father. We don't aim at not at hating our enemy. We don't, I'm sorry. We don't aim at loving our enemies. That'll be a byproduct. That'll come out of all three chapters that Jesus was talking about. When Jesus started describing you as you walk in the kingdom of the God, as Jesus starts describing you as you become into your beloved identity as a son, our aim is the Father. Amen? Our aim is the Father. There is no middleman. You don't need me, John Moore, to get, come through me to get to the Father. Amen? You go straight to Him in secret place. And you spill your heart to Him. You take everything that you ever was, everything you are today, and everything you will be in the future, and you lay it at His feet. And He says, and you say, because of you, I am what I am. I am your son. I am your daughter. I am your child. Our aim is that relationship between me and my Father. That's my aim. That's what I want to do every day. That's what I want to do every morning. That's what I want to do at noontime. That's what I want to do in the evening. That's what I want to do when I lay my head down at night. Before I close my eyes, I want my aim to be on my Father. I say, Father, take me tonight into your kingdom. Let me explore things that I've never seen before. Let me let me see what you're revealing to me. That in the morning that I may get up and do it again unto you. Amen. Is this making sense? In this portion of this scripture, it is about loving your enemies. But the bigger aim is your relationship with the Father. Amen? Ooh, I see the time. Let me see. I see the time. Talking about enemies. Let me, do, just, let me just do some praise here. Let me just get off in a little bit of worship. Amen? Let me just go for a break here. And just see if you can follow along and see if, see if this makes any sense to you. When we're, since we're talking about Jesus and Jesus was talking about enemies, 
Let me tell you something so great about my Jesus. Let me tell you something great about the Son of God, about Yeshua. Jesus, listen to me now. Listen to me. Jesus never had an enemy. Jesus never had an enemy. He's talking about enemies. He's never had an enemy. Jesus has never had a rival. He's talking about enemies and people, things that might come against us. But Jesus himself never had an enemy. He never had a rival. Why do you say that, John? Because Jesus is the creator of everything. Amen. And the one that creates can't create something. And then that creation uh, be able to stand up and say, I'm your enemy. I'm your rival. You got to understand the maker is greater than that that he made. Amen. So Jesus, yes, Jesus had uh, things that he was coming to set right <laughs> in this world. The world had fallen. Satan had fell. Adam had fell. The, 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 the tower of Babylon and adult um, chasing after idols had come into this world. And Jesus had come back to set us back on the right path. But he himself never had an enemy. He never had a rival. If you was to say Jesus had an enemy, that makes the enemy on the same level as Jesus and there is nobody, no thing, nothing ever created that's on the same level as my Jesus. They might be a little lower. They might have some power. They might have some time. The ability to manipulate and the ability to lie and the ability to get man to come into agreement with them. But that's far, far below from the one who made the creation. The one that spoke and atoms came together and the earth was formed and creation became the beautiful, the, the beautiful, beautiful world that it is. And every since then, corruption has, when man fell, corruption has come in and they've tried to use it and manipulate it and pervert it. And yes, Jesus came to set all that right. But Jesus himself, the Son of God, the one of the three trinities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, personally never had an enemy, never had a rival. Ooh. Ha <laughs> ha. If, can I stretch you a little bit more? I don't know if you've gotten stretched already. Maybe this is all old news to you. But maybe I can stretch you just a little bit more. When you really get over here and you start chasing after your father, your father becomes the aim. What you're going to find in your life is you're going to have less and less enemies. You're going to have less and less rivals to the point that you can have, you can come to the point where you realize you don't have any enemies. You don't have any rivals because now you're chasing after the father. All right. And, and Jesus, or I'm sorry, not Jesus, but Ephesians 6 and 12 tells us the same thing. Matt, can you put that up there? Ephesians 6 and 12 it says here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So when I say that you're going to find out you have less and less enemies, you're going to find out that the man and the woman that, that you rub shoulders with when you go into the marketplace, they're not your enemy. They're not your rival. They're made in the image of the same one who made you. 
We're to love them. We're to reach out to them. They're not our enemies. It doesn't matter if they vote different than I vote. It doesn't matter if they speak different than I speak. It doesn't matter if they wear different clothes than I wear. It doesn't matter if they smell different than I smell. It doesn't matter if they eat different food than I eat. It doesn't matter if they drive different cars than I eat. It doesn't matter if they root for a different football team. It doesn't matter if you see what I'm saying. They're not our enemy. They're not our rival. Because we belong to the Father. We chase for the Father. And we know that everything that we have in the Father, they can have as well. So we, there's a chance that later in their life, no matter where they're at in their life, that we could come up to them. We could lock arms with them. And we could begin to walk and march in step together towards the Father. We do not have as many enemies as we think we have. We do not have as many rivals if you, as we think you have. In this one, it really becomes down to the principalities. It comes down to the principalities. And let me tell you about a principality. The Hebrew way of thinking about a principality is this. Anybody, who get this now. If there's a door, a gateway, a portal, some kind of, of entryway that you need to go through, and you look at that, and there's somebody sitting in that who means you, uh, that is corrupt, and means to keep you from going through it, that's a principality. That's what a principality is. Someone who sits in a gate... Knowing that you should go through it, but they're not going to let you go through it. But let me tell you, as you get closer and closer and closer to the Father, that principality, ooh, he, he becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you become so full of your Father that you look at that principality and you say, Boo! You speak to that principality. You tell it to move. In the name of Jesus, you tell it to leave with the authority that's been given to you through your seat in Jesus Christ in heavenly places. And that principality, I promise you, will move and they will vacate that door and they will vacate that position. And that's when you as a child of God in your maturity and in your in, in being in Entangled in the Father, step right into that gate. You step right into that door and you begin to fill that door. Why would you want to do that? Because the whole world is lined up behind you trying to get through that same door to get to the same Father that you worship. And when you stand in that door and the principality is gone, you can reach back like Peter did. And he can, you can grab the hand of your brother and your sister. And you can pull them into the gate. And you can bless them as they walk on by. And they come into that relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus is standing on a hillside telling people that you will never be the same. You will never leave here the same that you did. You are a child of God. You walk in the kingdom of God. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect because we need to speak. We need to set people free. We need to see people healed. We need to see people... We need to see people... Here in Plant City, in the wholeness that they would be if they were sitting in the kingdom of God, if they were in heaven right now. That's why Jesus is going through the trouble of challenging people, giving them a pattern of how you can challenge and how you can do and how you can change. I've got so many more notes. I've got so many more notes, but I'm not going to get to them. Brother Bark, if you'll come. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. As he comes, I'll finish up. Uh, Matt, if you would, go back to uh, Matthew 5, back to 46. 46 says, if you love those who... If you love those who you love, what reward do you have? Real quickly, I don't have time to preach this out. But what Jesus is saying, there's no increase in loving the lovable. He's talking about reward. There's no increase in loving the lovable. Anybody can do that. You want increase? Go love the unlovable. Go find the one that disgusts you today. And do good unto them. Pull them close and hug them. And love on them. And give them everything they need. There's no increase for loving the lovable. Going to verse 47. Verse 47 says, If you greet your brethren only. Real quickly, I don't have time to preach it out, but Jesus says, Do not limit your kindness to your friends. Do not limit your kindness to your friends. Every, whatever, however kind you would be to the one that you love the most, be that exact same image of kindness of the one that right now you call an enemy. Remember, we're getting to the verse that says, Therefore, go and be perfect as your Father is perfect. One translation said it this way. but in the scripture we've come first full circle we started in verse 48 then we backed up to verse 43 and ran right back down to we're back down to verse 48 again and I love how this translation says verse 48 says since you are the children of a perfect father in heaven you are to be perfect like him Ooh, again Going back to the Hebrew way of seeing this word, being whole. If you're not whole, go to the secret place and ask Him to make you whole. If you're not complete, go to the secret place and ask Him to make you complete. Not only will it bless you, but like I said, it'll bless those around you. Amen? mature, lacking nothing, all-inclusive, well-rounded. I'm describing you tonight. I'm describing you. We all have this ability. We all have our aim is to seek the Father. When we seek the Father in His presence, we became transformed to be like Him. So that like in verse 45, the world which is in darkness, which is in corruption, truly. Corruption is a better word than darkness. This world that's in corruption, like in verse 45 says, that we see something in you and you're the sons of the Father in heaven. That being said, listen to this. This is my prayer for First Assembly tonight. This is my prayer for Plant City. Listen to this. Go. Remember, it said do good. Go and be perfect. Go and be perfect in your homes and families. Go and be perfect in your workplace and with your co-workers. 
Go and be perfect in your neighborhood and to your neighbors. Go and be perfect in your hobbies and with your friends. Go and be perfect in your cities and with your city officials. Go and be perfect with your in your county and your county officials. Go and be perfect in your state and with your state officials. There's not a place that we can go. There's not a, an area that we can tread our feet on where we're not to be applying what we learn as we aim at the Father. Go and be perfect. Amen? Go in love. As we just read, go in love. Bless those who curse you. Do something wonderful for the one that hates you. And respond and pray for the one that persecutes you. Let's stand. Brother Mark, if you'll lead us in worship. Change my heart, oh God. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If the Father's Chapel podcast has had an impact on you, please write a positive review on your podcast app. We encourage you to share episode 19, What is Father's Chapel?, recorded on June 10, 2021, to introduce others to their sonship journey. May God bless you as you share Father's Chapel.